Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Scottish Sports Stories. Now we change in sports this week. Um, got a basketball coach, Mr. Leo Harper, joining me today. Now I could sit here and list all Leo's accomplishments, but it would probably take me all night. So I think we'll just bring in Leo and have a chat. Hello, Leo. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Will? Very well. Thank you for coming on. No worries. Good. good. I'm really looking forward to hearing all your stories, Leo. Yeah, excellent. Good. So I always start, Leo, with all my guests. Just right back to your early days. What sort okay. of sports were you interested in as a youngster at school? Um, as a youngster, I was um, football was the most evident. Uh, football, I did a bit of badminton. I played for my school badminton team. I played for the school football team, the boys' club, and I was quite quite a keen runner. I really enjoyed cross country. So, and all the three, I probably excelled in cross country. I was a, I was a good runner. It was just quite natural. Uh, but regards to football, I was always kind of mediocre. I was one of that kids that uh, coach played in defence. <laughs> I, I love the game um, and it was the same with badminton I love badminton as well So, but overall it's just generally quite sporty you're always pretty fit eh? Um, yeah I suppose even now you know 41 years of age um, just previously before injury I was I, I was I was going to boxing etc um, I think my time for a, a 5k run during the COVID period, I'd set a little task for my basketball group through COVID, just a little bit of fitness, kind of challenge the coach. And there was one in particular girl, she's she's competitive and she went to compete against me. So I knew that this was going to push me. So I set up like a 5K and I was at 28 minutes the first time. I was really, really annoyed. So three times a week I'd go and run through an Ellen. And eventually I remember my last run and I got it down to just 19 minutes 30 something. Um, That was a massive improvement. However, it wasn't enjoyable. I was actually almost physically sick. It was a a battle from the start to finish. And um, I don't think I'll ever do it again. I accomplished what I did. And yeah, that's it. You push yourself too hard to achieve it? Um, Yeah, yeah. I think I was trying to prove a point. I think um, the, the body can't take it as much as it used to. The brain's telling you, you know, you can do it, you can do it. But my body took some thrashing. But it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Um, and it kind of set an example to the group that I was trying to set the example to. So um, a lot of their times improved and we, it was fun. It was fun. But not to be done again, no? Uh, no. Um, I don't know. I don't know if my running days are finished. I used to... It used to be really bad. Like I go for a really, really long run. I, like I feel that I don't have to train. If you like, I'm one of these people. I can just go and put on my trainers and I can just run. Okay. Um, a little bit like your Forrest Gump, <laughs> if you like. <laughs> I, I can just run. I can run. I can run. Um, but I used to be bad for timing myself, and I'd put it up onto Facebook or social media. Um, and then the next time I'm going to try and beat it, and I'm going to try and beat it. It stopped becoming enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I learned, you know what? I just put on the earphones and just run. And if I wanted to, if I wanted to slow down, I could slow down and actually enjoy the run. If that makes sense. Aye. Mm-hmm. So, it's almost like it's non-competitive. You're enjoying it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very good. So, how was your school? Leo? Was you an academic or was you more sports inclined? Um, I think in primary school, I was quite quite academic. I was not bad. I get that probably. 
one of these people in my life, I feel I've always just kind of been in the middle to a certain stage that changed. Um, maybe going into self-confidence. In the academy, I was one of these kids. I probably went into the academy and changed in the first and second year. I was one of these immature kids. I was probably one of these annoying kids, you know, that um, I annoyed teachers. I was maybe a little bit boisterous, a little bit cheeky, if you like. Spent a little bit of time outside the classroom. Um, come third year, fourth year, I kind of found a, a liking for art. Um, I really liked art. Um, I wanted to go down the whole graphic design route and stuff. I did my fifth year higher, but a really, really good mark. I actually got the highest mark in my year for the art um, from a prelim. But the, the theory side kind of let me down. Um, but yeah, I, I sailed through school. I think I winged school. I think I'd be the the best way to go. I winged school. Yeah, fair enough. So, if yeah. you left school, Leo, what route did you take? Was your college, university? Yeah, unfortunately, I suppose it wasn't my decision to kind of leave school. There was a bit of a mishap where, um, let's just say that I had three days out of school. Um, I think you'll know where I'm going with that. I had three days out of school, and it was kind of cases that the the parents, if you like, well, well, you're not going back. You know, you're, you're wasting your time. And they, they were really keen on the whole military side of things. Okay. Um, the Marines in particular. So as a youngster, I suppose I always kind of liked the idea of playing toy soldiers, if you like. I liked the idea and there was something exciting about it. Um, and I tell like, why not? You know, let's try this. So I spent a year in a fish factory kind of saving money, which was an experience in, ex in itself. Probably a good life experience, actually. It gave me the idea that oh, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. Um, so oh, I'm glad I did it, you know. Um, and yeah, I went on, I, I went to the Marines. Um, oh man, that was hard. That was really, really hard. I remember I went for my interview um, in Belmont Street in Aberdeen, uh, a 17-year-old, 18-year-old boy. Um, I've, I've never been interviewed before, you know, not like that. I think my, I had a little job at the time. I was I was working, um, when I was at the academy, I was working in kitchens at a leisure centre. Yeah, oh, I used to wash dishes, and I got promoted to making salads. That was all. that was an accomplishment. <laughs> um, I was one fifty an hour. Then I went up to one seventy five an hour. Um, that was it. And then I did leave that, and I went to the, obviously left school, went to fish factories. So I was in this interview. Uh huh. I remember being so so nervous. First time in a suit and tie. You know, I've never had that before. And I'm sitting with this big man in front of me, quite a strong kind of character. Um, he made me feel. Like, let's just say he never put me at ease. Okay. You asked the question, he says, um, why did you leave your job um, in the leisure centre? And I was basically, well, I wanted to make more money. And he just looked at me and he asked me the question again. He says, no, why did you leave the job in the leisure centre? And I was like, uh, to make more money. And he looked at me and he says, you're a liar. And he goes, you're going to tell me the truth right now. And he was really abrupt and quite aggressive in his tone. I'm like, what is going on here? And I just told him, like, I left. I get more money in the fish factory. I wanted to save to kind of go to the Marines. And he goes, everything I think you've told me is a lie. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what do I say? I remember, like, shaking. And he says, I'd give him my fitness results. He had to do, like, a certain amount of press-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups. And he says, actually, I don't believe you. And he's actually, I don't believe you're going to get even close to the results that you're telling me. And I goes, I can't. And he goes, well, you're going to prove it. And I was like, what? 
So he takes me through this little room and he was right enough, they'd set up a pull-up bar, uh, a mat for press-ups and sit-ups. And I did, I think I actually achieved higher um, in what it says. It must have been just pure adrenaline. And he took me and he says, I remember saying, well done. But I think basically what he was testing was my character. Uh, I, I, understand, I didn't understand it at the time, I understand it now. He's probably testing my temperament. Was I argumentative? Would I buckle? Would I cry? And that is kind of what the Marines was. Um, from the minute I went in, I uh, could feel myself being broken down. The first thing I remember is 60 kind of young teenagers, um, 17 to maybe 21 years of age, 60 of us in one big dorm, corporals running in, stark naked, stark naked. And they taught us how to wash. They simply just taught us how to wash. Okay. Um, and they're just breaking you down. And being in the Marines was very much like school. I think we had like eight periods a day. It might have been um, drill, which is basically you're just your marching, PT, physical training. Um, you're maybe in the range. Um, it was just map reading, if you like. It was just so much stuff. And then in the evenings, you were very much washing, cleaning, ironing. It, it was tough. You know, it was, it was really, really tough um, mentally. Physically, I was okay. Again, I probably started kind of in the middle of the troop with regards to my fitness, but I was very, very much in the top 10 of my fitness. Um, but mentally, the, the washing, the cleaning, the, the constant messing you around. And when I say messing you around, I'll give an example of that would be go and get your drill kit on. So when you get your drill kit at your marching and you've got to look as smart as you possibly can and they will inspect you when you come out, if the slightest little bit of fluff on your berry, like you are in trouble. So you're running around, you're getting ready, you go downstairs, and they were like, start screaming, shouting, and swearing. I won't use the language that we're using in this podcast, but it was, it was severe. And then it would be, why are you in your drill kit? And like, because you told us to. And they would be like, no, we never. We told you to get into your PE kit. So then, yeah, this is doing it, uh, Limston, and it used to exit our area. Um, and they used to have this uh, railway track, and just off the railway tracks, a little bay and river, and it was just full of mud. So in, in your drill kit, they would have you run in this mud, which would literally up to your knees. You, you couldn't run in it. It wasn't really practical. But they would make you do it anyway, and they'd, you know, they'd be kicking mud at you, and oh, it was just... More <sighs> character building. Yeah, I'd almost describe it as awful, but mm-hmm. in some weird way, when I talk about it, I enjoyed it. I don't know if that makes sense to the listeners, but I actually enjoyed it um, in some some strange way. But then it was a case where you had to go and wash your uniform, and oh yeah, it was tough. It was it was tough. Unfortunately, it came to quite a, a abrupt end. Um, I've got a really weak eye. Um, my right eye is not very dominant, and it was picked up in my medical. And when it came to the range, um, I could shoot at twenty five meters with what's an iron sight. Okay. Um, and it's something called a suicide. It's basically just a scope. It magnifies. But before you're allowed to use that and move on, you've got to pass tests at 25 meters when I in sight. And I could focus with my eye for literally five to 10 seconds and things would just start to go blur. Oh, all right, okay. And back then, you didn't have your laser eye treatment, you know. Um, I think it was just in the go. It wasn't allowed. I don't know if it's allowed today, actually, laser eye treatment in the military. But cut a long story short, I ended up being medically discharged. Um, and to say that I was gutted, I'd built a lot of friendships um it really does the military really builds up bond um togetherness and you know you you feel like you're losing brothers you're just you're just gone you know you've been you went through all that you've pushed yourself and it's just like what was that for you know you're a young man you don't really understand it 
Um, and that was me, yeah, out with the Marines. I mean, I stood you in good stead for life, though, eh? I think so. Um, and again, at the time, I never understood it, but it definitely built character. Um, I built a lot of resilience. Um, I learned to overcome adversity. Um, probably understood friendships better as well, actually, because I don't ever think I had friendships ever like that, because I'd never been put in that position in my life. Aye, okay. Um, so I built like, a lot of really good friendships. And, oh, listen, Willie, the weekends, oh my goodness, the weekends were amazing. I'm not, I'm not going to go into any detail, but wow. Weekends was amazing. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. Right, I can't right. imagine. Right, Lou, I want to take you back to you've done your, your you said football, badminton, and what was it that running? Yeah, yeah. What got you interested in basketball? Um, I suppose um, I was at a college. Um, there was a, I think I tried a bit of basketball, as I remember, as a youngster. But it was basically literally just bouncing a ball about and throwing it into a basket. There was no actual official training at school or nothing like that. Um, and football always took priority anyway. But basketball was it was an unknown sport, if you like. Um, but once we got up to college, it, it was part of the curriculum. Um, I was terrible. I mean, like I was actually awful. I had the whole movement from football. I had the understanding of passing move. So kind of out in the court, I was not so bad, but shooting the ball, the defending, like you can't defend a basketball like you would in football. And I, I really was awful. Um, looking back now, I was like a headless chicken. Just went about, just went about everywhere. And I wasn't the type of character to pass the ball, neither. I was a really greedy, selfish individual. Uh-huh. But the the tutor, I still remember, that's the Eric Ramaz. He kind of, I remember him trying to teach me how to shoot and we play these little fun games. Um, and the more I understood, and the more success I got using correct technique, the better I was becoming. So I kind of enjoyed that. I find it. I found it quite therapeutic shooting free throws. And kind of for the listeners, that's almost like a penalty shot in football, if you like. But you're just shooting it into a net, mm-hmm. and I hope to score. Um, and that was kind of it. There was a lad that was, I think he was from Maastricht Academy. He'd come to college. He was one of the students with us, Paul, and he was like a little NBA kid. He man, he could do all the tricks. This kid was just amazing. We were like astonished. And I suppose I was like, oh, that looks cool. I like this. And I really just took to it. And that was kind of it. And I found a, I found a new game. And that was okay. Me. And did you, uh, was there any teams that you go and play or did you just practice basketball on your own or at the college? Um, at the time, um, well, it was very much just at the college. It was just at the college. Um, we would play part of the curriculum, and then at lunchtime activities, we would take part in lunchtime activities. There, there was no basketball in Fraserburgh at the time. There was nothing, nothing at all. There was no clubs. There was nothing to go into. So it was very much just curriculum time at the college. Okay, so where did the interest in becoming a coach stem from? If there was a definite lack of interest... Yeah. So basically through college, um, there was a sports development officer coming in, a, a lad, Dave, Dave Brown. Obviously, he was unknown to us at the time. I was just, I think it was in my, my second year at college. Um, he came in, he was looking basically for two individuals to kind of set up and run a basketball club in Fraserburgh. And I was like, hey, I'll, I would love to do that. But unfortunately, it came down to the pupils in the class, it came down to a vote. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be voted for with another girl. Um, unfortunately, she fell pregnant. Maybe I shouldn't say unfortunately. Um, she fell pregnant, and that was me by myself. Um, so I basically had three three kids started as club young teenagers for Fraser Academy. I can still remember them to this day. I kind of grew to five to ten, if you like, and it just 
just expanded. And I mean, you're speaking about four years later from three kids to something like about almost 150 kids. That's astronomical. Yeah. yeah, it was huge. Just kids were just so attracted to it. Um, and I suppose I just learned to coach kind of from there. Um, That's a great one. You're saying you just learned to coach. Did you have anywhere you can go coaching, like the YouTube or anything like that, to give you some ideas? You know, at the time, I don't think YouTube was even that kind of accessible. Um, I loved football, and I'd done football coaching. Okay. So I, I understood structure. Um, I understood pass and move. But I think, I mean, I was always told... F- from a youngster, again, it was a guy, Eric, at college. And I remember him watching my teams once at the college in a game. And he says, Leo, that team is so much characteristics of you. He goes, they run, they defend, they hustle, they're in your face. And I suppose I imposed that on my teams. So even though I never had the technical knowledge as a young coach, what I did have in structure and just encouraging them to work as hard as they possibly could kind of came through. And I think I think in youth sport, it doesn't matter what the sport may be, team sports, if, if you're disciplined, you're organised and structured, and you've got a willing to work for your team, I think you're always going to get an element of success. Uh, as you say. So with your teams, uh, Leo, when did uh, coaching success start appearing? Um, did you get a list longer than my arm? Yeah, <laughs> I suppose it's hard to kind of pinpoint kind of one success. I remember, I remember getting close to success. Well, what I would have defined the back then as success, and at the moment I define success different to from what I did as a young coach. Success for me as a young coach was winning. But I'll, I'll go into that later. It's very different for me now. Um, I remember we would go to what was called regional development academies. Um, or regional development league, sorry. And you would compete against other teams in the region. And I remember when we first kind of went along, we were just the team. We were the whipping boys, if you like, the whipping girls, man. We would, we would just get beat. And I didn't like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose I took, it, I took it personally. As a young coach, you know, I wanted to win. I wanted to win. And I did take it personally. I was probably, as a coach, I probably wasn't a very good coach, to be honest. I was one of these coaches. I, I wasn't a shouter. But I would blame, maybe I'd put blame on players. You, know, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do it better. And in theory, that comes down to my coaching. But I never understood that then. But as the kind of years progressed, my teams were getting closer. And like we were competing, games were more competitive, and I was learning on the job. However, something kind of remarkable happened. I was at Fraserburgh Academy, and there was an Eastern European lad, a Lithuanian lad, kind of came into training. And he was head and shoulders above what I had within my age group, the under 12 slash 13s. I was like, wow, who is this kid? Like, where does he come from? And he'd basically been taught over in Lithuania. And a couple of his friends arrived. They weren't as good as him, but they were better than what I had. And they okay, okay, this is good. This is good. I'm happy. You know, this is bolstering, <laughs> this is bolstering my team. Remember, I'm very competitive. I'm like, you know, I can see light at the end of this winning tunnel. I'm going to win. And the boy was good, uh, Cornelius. He says, "Man, listen, Leo. He goes, I've got in this brother. He's actually over in Lithuania just now. He's held in very, very high regard, but I think he's going to be moving over." I'm like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> bring him over. <laughs> bring him over to Scotland. I want to see this boy." Well, I think it was about a month later, and he, he did arrive. Oh my goodness! 
the technical ability this lad had was, I mean, phenomenal. But he was also heads and shoulders physically above anything I've ever witnessed. Okay. I think you'll see in one of the photos, I've got a lad jumping over a banner and he's dunking it into the hoop. Oh, okay. That hoop is 10 feet. And he did that when he was 15 years of age. Oh, wow. So um, Lithuania, it's played a lot in Lithuania, is it? Basketball, sorry, it's played a lot in Lithuania, is it? It's very much our football, if you like. It's it's their home game. It's kind of their go-to sport. Oh, right, yeah. right, okay. So what it gave me was this phenomenal team. Now, let's just say I went on with that team undefeated. They, they were untouchable. In the region, they were untouchable. Like, nobody even got close to them. Um, I can't take credit for that. These boys came in. And I think they would have won the games without a coach. They were that good. They were just heads and shoulders above the other kids in Scotland. Okay. Um, so, but what it did allow me to do is practice different strategies and focus more on technique and stuff and training because I knew we were going to win with the other kids. So it kind of gave me a bit of a break of focusing on just wanting to win. I could focus on technique and skills and whatever. And I probably learned a lot from these Lithuanian boys. Um, that then kind of led on to a couple of under-16 boys. Uh, one of them in particular, an Andres, is like this uh, Lithuanian lad, former pupil of Fraserburgh Academy. He says to me, he goes, Leo, I've got a, a couple of older friends, adults, one or two, that would really enjoy coming into basketball training. I'm like, okay, no problem. Because we were trying to set up like an under-18s or a senior team at the time. Uh, okay. Yeah, bring them along. This was up at the college, Willie, listen. I remember of these six foot four, six foot five monsters. Wow. Coming through, Dorna. Listen, for, for the viewers that maybe don't know me, I am five foot seven and a half. I like to emphasize the half. It just makes me feel a bit bigger. <laughs> Is that the other um, heels, Leo? That's in high heels, yeah. That's a different story. <laughs> um, well, I mean, without being stereotypical or, I don't, I don't know how to phrase this, but not to be mean, um, they were aggressive looking figures. And if you've ever met Eastern Europe, they speak with this deep, low voice and they are passionate. Oh, me. I was outside my comfort zone. Um there was literally, by a couple of weeks, we had about 15 to 20 of these males in the hall. And I had said to them, look, guys, I'm maybe the coach, but your guys' experience overshadows mine. I don't know what you know. Um, and there was a, a lad, uh, Yugis Latvian. And I, if I'm right in saying he was maybe semi-professional, played, played for the military in Latvia. Okay. Uh, he's like, well... Or can I assist you? And I'm like, well, let's change the roles. Let's maybe, how how do you feel about coaching? And I would maybe assist you. Fine. He was happy with that. He was a different kind of coach. He probably did have that kind of all military mentality. Um, the Eastern, Europe Eastern European lads responded to that. Um, and we went into a senior men's league where I played. Um, probably wasn't the best player neither. Definitely not the best player on that team. But I learned a lot about coaching. I learned more about how to play the game. I was learning for people that were so, so knowledgeable in comparison to what you would have had at Scotland. Um, okay. So it was just the right time, right place. Right time, right place. And I, I was learning fast. Um, how I was coached, I couldn't use that approach with children. I couldn't use that approach with teenagers. 
Um, it wouldn't work. It was very strict. It was very military. The, the use of the language and whatever, but regards to structure and breaking drills down and breaking strategies down and rebuilding them, analysing other teams, analysing other players, I learned a lot. And I'm like, okay. It came a point where we got promoted to the gold division. I think the, the lads, we went undefeated in the silver division quite comfortably. Okay. Um, and when we went into gold division, I wasn't nearly good enough a player to be playing. Remember, I, I, I never went through youth playing basketball. I picked uh-huh. up maybe when I was like 19, 20. Um, and though I could handle the ball and I, I could shoot, I never really played under pressure. And I think oh, that's okay. once you're put under pressure, it really defines you as a player. And I couldn't have that. I mean, I'd have these these lads pressuring me so much. They would take the ball from me and they would just go and score. And it wasn't acceptable. A coach let me know that. <laughs> but I still went to training and I decided that, you know what, my focus is working on the youth. Um, and that's, that's when success started. Um, I really... I took all my knowledge, my understanding, my learning. Um, also, what I learned from college, I mean, I was learning to be a coach in the college. That's what I did at college, um, sports coaching and development. Um, and I went on to lecture that, actually. That kind of set me up. And then success began. Do you want me to go through the successes? or the... Just listen, if you, you better not listen um, to Mark, because there's probably not enough time in this podcast. Oh, well, I'll go through them really quick. So I think, yeah, let's just go here. I was the National Young Persons Coach of the Year 2013, and I was uh, so, uh, 2014. I was the Regional Young Persons Coach 2013, 2014, 2015. So really the region was identifying and at national level I was being identified as a coach. I won under 12s girls uh, championships in the region, under 12s, under 13s, I was undefeated. Um, even at under 10, same, same season, 2013, 2014, 2015, undefeated. And we won under 12s champions, uh, Super Cup that season. We won under 12, 13, uh, 2013, 14 as well. So it's two seasons in a row. Under 12 champions, Grampian Super Cup champions, under 10 mixed champions. Um, then kind of came out with my under 18 boys at the, the academy. We never had a basketball team before. Okay. These were, were Lithuanian boys. Um, we only really had a team of seven players, five Lithuanians and two Scottish uh, young lads. Um, and we got to the semifinals. Um, we did really, really well. And unfortunately, we fell short against a, a Tayside team that was basically, I think, if I'm right in saying, they had eight national players in their squad at under, like under 18 kind of level. And my boys just fell short. And we were winning the majority of the game. And I suppose when I look back now, tactically, I made some mistakes I wouldn't make now. Uh, uh, you're going to learn the Leo. Uh, the coach was a fantastic coach. Um, I remember having a good conversation with the end. He kind of told me where I went wrong. Um yeah, I remember going to change rooms with that boys, and I told them what they had achieved was phenomenal. Well, every single one of these boys, the five Lithuanian boys, went on to university and have excelled in university. Um, mm-hmm. That was always a big thing in, in basketball, which I'll cover later. Was their education came before the actual basketball? Anyway, that same season, that same boys went on to the three v three national championship. What's that, Leo? It's basically three v three. It's a half-court game. They play one basket. 
quite big in Olympics now, actually. Okay. First time they ever ran it in uh, Scotland, and these boys thought they would, they would enter, um, and they won it. They actually went in and won a 3v3 tournament. Uh, th these lads were unheard of in Scotland. And I know the lad, that picture that you've got of the boy jumping over the banner and okay. dunking it. Um, I remember now, first Scotland, you've, you've got to trial. You've got to go through a process and you've got to trial, you've got to trial. And I remember the woman at the time, Louise White, uh, Louise White just went up with them with a card and says, will you contact us, please? And they'd contact him and he, he, he went straight into the national squad. Um, so that was fantastic for him. Was that good, eh? Yeah. Um, then I suppose the next big one was um, national champions uh, under 12. Um, all these lads were Fraserburgh lads. Um, it's, we, where was we at? I can't Was we Stirling? I can't remember where we played that actually. But we went down. Basically, we'd, we'd won the regional championship. There. You go into the top eight teams in Scotland and then you complete, you compete on the day against the other teams. Um, it's kind of like a knockout kind of stage. A little okay. late into a knockout, and we went into the gold division. Uh, and I remember in the division we were playing against Stirling and St Mirren. Now, if you think of that, Stirling, St Mirren, Fraserburgh, they, uh, the children, if you like, they've got to choose from. Um, I just had a little core of boys that I'd worked with, very talented. Um, and I remember we played, we played uh, Stirling. They were a team to beat. And we won by two points. And I was like, yes. Okay. Then we played against St. Mirren and we lost by two points. So it kind of came down to the St. Mirren game and the Sterling game. Now, for us to get anything for this, St. Mirren had to win the game by two points. The chances of that happening was slim. Now, um, Sorry, it was Sterling had to win the game by two points. Um, and they did, right at the death. St. Mirren was winning the game, and all of a sudden they just come back and we were like, what, what, what? And so I actually saw us tied three-way. It's never, ever happened before. Okay. Tied through. So you imagine goal difference, if you like. It basically comes down to basket difference, same kind of idea. Now, we knew going by the league that if we were to do go by basket difference in the day that Fraserburgh would have won. They would actually have been defined as the number one, and it wouldn't have been a shared contest. And the officials kind of come to me and says, look, what do you want to do? And you know what? I was dealing in youth sport, and I thought, you know what? To what we've achieved, we've came first. Regardless, we've won. Um, and I says, no, let's make it a three-way tie. I'm not going to go with goal difference in youth basketball, sorry. My other coaches were quite appreciative of that, and they agreed with it. And, it, it, yeah, it came down to a three-way tie. But, yeah, that was, that was my first national championship, which I took great pride in. It wasn't easy. I can't imagine. Right, see that thing you just won? Yeah. Take me back to when you started that boys came for training. How did you get them from raw recruits, say to say, up to the standard they got? What do you do with them? It's 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 a lot of a lot of technique, um, and it's a lot of individual development. I don't believe in setting up all these fancy tactics in under twelve. Actually, I'll tell you my tactics under twelves, and they've never changed. Um, work as hard as you can uh -huh. attack for your team defend for your team if there's a pass forwards and you can make that pass you must make that pass it's a very transition game under 12 so it's very much up and down so the whole idea for me is individual development now I believe if you set up a team of individuals who are individually very very strong 
under 12s, you're going to see a byproduct of that. The winning uh -huh. the byproduct. Now, under 12s in the region, like, man, nobody, no, no one was close to us with that age group. We were so, so good at, at season. We were just so good. However, as you know, when we go into the nationals, it was competitive. But basically, in training, it was a lot of drills and breaking them down and breaking them down. So shooting, for example, is, I mean, you'll be aware of biomechanics and golf. Right. And how to break that down and break it down and rebuild it. And I very much call this the cognitive stage. Um, and once they build that cognitive ability and they're showing quite, they're quite competent in performing the skill, then we move on to connect the intermediate stage. So we take that skill and we put it into kind of adaptive drills that are still quite predictable where they use that skill. It might be a game and we might say, right, you've got to make X amount of passes and you've got to score with a layup. Now a layup for MD that's listening is basically off a dribble, two steps and placing it off a square into the basket. All right, okay. Um, so it is still quite predictable. The drills are quite predictable. They're still learning the skill, but they're a little bit better at it. And then you, what you go into is the autonomous stage. The autonomous stage being is that they basically can't get it wrong. So if you've ever heard that saying, don't practice it till you can do it right one time. Practice it till you can do it right. You can't make a mistake. You can't go wrong. And that was basically what it was. I mean, these things were just drilled into him. And muscle memory, you know, you're building this muscle memory. And it was just instinctive. And what I did with this team is once we were at autonomous stage, I put in extremely high intense practices. We put very, very strong defense into this. And we really, really pushed that skill, if you like. And that was it. Um, we just built it up. So we had our rules, pass the ball forward, work hard on defense, work hard on offense. Um, blindfolded Willie. They're dribbling in the basketball. We put blindfolds on them. And they would dribble the ball blindfolded. And then we'd give them two basketballs. And they would we'd be dribbling two basketballs blindfolded. Obviously, they're not moving. It's a static drill. But um, that was it. It really is. It's, it's muscle memory building its repetition, repetition, repetition to the point that you could say it gets boring. And I think that's where a good coach has to be able to vary his drills but incorporate the same skills, if that makes sense. A different way of doing the same thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm assuming you'd probably do the same in golf, you know. Um, things can become monotonous, especially for kids, you know. It's like, oh, you know, they, they want to see the end product very, very quickly. So a lot of competitive drills, you know. First, first team to this gets X, and they, they get to choose the next game or whatever. C competition's massive, you know. Kids love competition. I love competition. I'm a competitive person. Um, if, if, if I'm in school just now in the academy and a kid challenges me to something, I'm likely to, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> and I'll still win. I'll, I'll still want to win, you know. I remember going out with third years when I was working as a PSA um, in one of the PE classes, and, like, I... I was not making these kids in football and everything. I, 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 I can play football. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. But it, it's competitive. And it's always going to come out, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that competitiveness, that resilience, that desire to win shows in my teams. It, sh it shows in my teams. And any team you watch that I have, um, this might sound brutal to some people listening, my kids are not allowed to walk in a game. If they're walking back on transition, I will take them off the court. They'll get one one and like don't walk back at defense because you're working for your team. 
you are working for your team you're not working as an individual you're working as your team when we're in training you're maybe working on individual development but when we go on that court we are a team and you will play for your team so don't walk uh, um give everything you've got if you're tired i will substitute you and not like football, where when you make that substitution, you, you can't go back on. In basketball, you can rotate substitutions as much as you like. Oh, so right. you can get, get back on the court. So, right. Here's a question for a, for a coach's perspective on this, right? Mm -hmm. You get two guys turning up to your training. Mm -hmm. One guy is the most talented guy you've ever seen in your life, but he's absolutely zero, uh, what would be the word? Attitude. Mm -hmm. he, he can't be bothered. He's not interested in doing it. And the other guy has got no talent, but he's 500% interested in running about doing as much as he can. How do you turn those two into good players or into players? What do you do with them? I've had both um, on numerous occasions, actually. Um, we'll start with the kid that um, the kid that can attend to be very, very competent, uh, very, very natural, if you like, but maybe can be, I suppose you're asking it, maybe they're a bit lazy, maybe they're not... Um, willing to do the things that their team like work hard on defense if you like maybe a little bit like your Cristiano Ronaldo of football I don't know <laughs> the ability is there um as I say I have an ethos and it will be drilled into them eventually but I tend to find these kind of kids will it's not that they don't want to do something sometimes that they are so good and they don't feel that they're being challenged all right okay so it is a case of trying to challenge them, maybe trying to let them take on a little bit more responsibility. Um, sometimes coaches at a young age can be very, very autocratic, very, very dictating. You must do this, you must do it. Sometimes when you've got this kid that has got this ability, how about asking them, what do you think of this? Guy comes back to that choice we speak about at work. Give him a bit of choice. Give him a little bit of power. Collaborate with them a little bit and make them feel wanted important and yeah, I think that's the way forward I, and I've had this um, and it usually does tend to work um, I haven't had I think in my whole career of basketball I've never I've had two kids three kids leave my club to join another team um, and that, that's actually very good because if you look at the region kids are swapping backwards and forwards all the time I tend to keep keep my kids and it is it's almost like building a family sometimes Willie you know uh -huh. Um, relationship is very, very important when you're working with these youngsters and building a team. You've got to know your players. It doesn't matter what age. And when I say relationship, it's a professional relationship. It's a coaching relationship. But this might sound silly. Um, one of the first questions I ask my kids, I'll say, hey, man, how's life? Hey, man, how's life? And some of them look at me and go, that guy's crazy. But yeah. everyone watches them. I like a lot of humor. You know, I'm playful. I put kids at ease. Um, and I think they just love this. I'm not overly strict. At the same time, I'm not lazy fair. You know, I don't like, yeah, do what you want. But some of these kids that you described, you know, the, the talent's there, but the effort's maybe not. Um, I, th I think we can fine-tune that in other ways. We can give them up responsibilities. Uh -huh. We can make them feel wanted. We can make them feel important. We can give them a bit of empowerment. Um, I don't necessarily believe in team captains at a young age. It's something I've made mistakes with in the past. And, you know what I mean, the power in the wrong hands, you know, it doesn't necessarily work. Um, so, but, yeah, giving them that responsibility. Now, go, 
going to the the opposite end of the spectrum um, i'm going to tell you a story it kind of to this day it'll, it'll live with me for the rest of my life okay um, and it, this is when i change as a coach willie i had these um these girls in the under 12s we were very very good we were a good team um these are the best girls three of them in particular were the best I've, I've ever come across they were very very coachable and two of these girls you my ethos of run and drive and intensity and never give up around these two girls. These two girls were the most competitive girls I've ever met. Now, I witnessed this in primary school, and I was like, um, I would like you two girls to come to basketball. <laughs> You're going to come to my team. Um, one of them comes straight away. One of the girls, unfortunately, liked horse riding. Okay. Not, I don't know much about horse riding, but... I wasn't really having it. And my assistant coach had come back to me and says, look, listen, Leo, mum said no. She's got horse riding. I was like, go back to that mum and tell her that the coach is saying, your kid is so, so good, maybe the best I've ever seen at that age. Can we trial her in one game, even though she's never played a game, and we'll take it from there. And I remember the girl did well. She, she went to this game through in Aberdeen. She was in our B squad. She's never played before. And we were playing a really tough team. And I was like to the girl, when you go, oh man, it was like she was possessed. Okay. The skill set wasn't necessarily there, but the drive, um, she would run. If there was a loose basketball on the floor, she would literally just throw herself on top of it. And basketball, you're allowed to snatch the ball. You've got to be able to protect it. And she just had it. And I'm like, wow. I knew I had something special to build this team around. Um, so we moved up to under 13s. And... When you're in under 13s, you're playing in an under 14s league. And yeah, okay. some other girls. And we did well. I think if I'm right in saying, well, I think we finished eighth overall in Scotland that year. And I think we finished second in the region. So it was success in itself. Remember, this is a team from Fraserburgh against massive cities. Um, but I knew the next season, I knew that I had something very, very special. But unfortunately, we lost quite a lot of girls. A lot of them had moved up to under 16s. And I'm like, mm, but I knew I had this core. And then... I was in training, and this uh, two kids come in. They moved over from Malaysia, Willie, um, a Mimi and a Junior. And they won't mind me mentioning their names because I did ask mum before. Um, these they moved over from Malaysia, Willie, and um, I think they were, I won't mention the school, they were, it wasn't a school here, but um, they were really, really badly racially abused. One of the boys was P7, one of the, boy, the girl was um, first year. And they were really, really badly racially abused. Um, going back in the time, it was in the newspapers. Um, and, you know, that's tough. Now, they came to my team, and kind of like he says, the brother was so talented in basketball. Wow, he was he was phenomenal. I was like, yes, I've got myself another player. In you come. Willie, this girl, I was like, scratching my head, what am I going to do with this girl? Um, cognitively, she didn't look like she had any cognitive ability, but she did, she had a little bit. Um, but over the weeks, she grew into this team. Okay. Um, there's something I always had with my teams is new kids come in, you respect them, regardless age, gender, whatever. We respect them. They're part of this team. Um, and these girls just bonded. This girl brought my team something that was more powerful than skills and teamwork in themselves. She brought this togetherness. She was smiley. She was bubbly. She was enthusiastic. And she would always come to me at the end of the session and say, Leo, how can I improve? She was very hard on herself. Okay. Yeah, and I would suggest in some respects she was maybe slightly anxious. 
Um, and I remember mum sometimes messaged me saying, look, she's, she hasn't scored X amount of baskets. What she can do? And I always tell her, kid, maybe it's in the football. If you're not doing well attacking and maybe scoring, work hard on defence. You can still give something to your team. Mm-hmm. Um, and she took that on board. Um, so we moved forward. And I remember the very first RDL, I had to go with the boys and the girls' game. One of my girls, uh, Georgia, she's a phenomenal little player, a little scrapper, but also technically very good. She got fouled out. And then Ailey got fouled out. And Kelsey got fouled out. So basically, my three best players were fouled out. Sorry, Leo, what does fouled out mean? Ah, sorry, good question. If you get five fouls in a game, you're off. All right, okay. You can only commit five fouls and, and you're off the court. You can't go back on. So they 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 accumulated fifteen fouls between them and yeah they were off and they did lose that game. I remember, I remember them coming up to me and kind of no 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 they're biased they didn't want us to win and like it's a referee and listen I don't do that with referees mm-hmm. we don't blame the referee okay don't give a referee the excuse to foul to call a foul in the first place um, and we went back and we worked at that and we we needed more girls and we took a couple more into the school. Um, but this girl Mimi was improving, and when she came into the team, she was like a rebounding monster. So basically, what I mean by rebounding, she could jump and catch the ball, and she would attack the ball. Okay. And I was like, wow, she actually fits into this team. My mentality, my ethos. This was great. So we started going through a season, and we added the structure. We would focus on our weaknesses from a game. We would bring it back to training. We went backwards and forwards. I mean, well, this was repetitive. Um, I had them drilled three times a week. We drilled, drilled, drilled what I call five out. Now, five out is basically, it's, it's a formation. It's five around the perimeter. Um, your basic rule to describe it in layman's term is pass and cut. So football is one, two. Okay. So when you pass the ball, you basically go to the basket. You cut to the basket. You don't get the ball. You come out and everybody rotates one space. And what I like about this is you're developing five players there's not a specific individual roles, if you like. They're all learning the five positions. So you're developing them. Though as a team, it's like five girls, one brain. They all know the rules of the concept. But uh, okay. They're not robots because there is freedom in it. Um, and that was working really, really well. But they say that I drilled them and I drilled them and I drilled them. So we, we got to the, to the regional finals. Now, there was a team from Highland. We'd never beat them before. At this age group, they were always a bigger team. But I always knew with the way we played that they wouldn't cope. So we, we beat them in a, a regional game. Um, and we like a secondary squad. And we were delighted to beat them. But some of my better players, if you like, were like, oh, we want to go into the second game on that day. And we want to play. We want to beat them again. And I says, no. I goes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my less experienced players and I'm going to put them on the court, and they're going to play the same system. They're going to play, and they're going to play their hearts out. And we did. I remember I think we lost that game like 15 points or something, and I was delighted because I knew that what we were creating something really, really big here. So it went to the regional uh, final. We were in Dundee, and the sports arena, and we did. We won the regional final. Um, we never beat this team properly competitively. Yes, in the region, but we were a whole team and we beat them. And we just beat them. You know, we beat them maybe, but I can't remember the exact score. Time. We maybe say five points or something. It was a close game. Um, so again, we went into the top eight teams in Scotland. Um, 
and we played against we played against the best teams. Now, going back to this girl Mimi, she had become a very very big part of this team. She held this togetherness, and unfortunately, Mimi had to go back to Hong Kong. Uh, to, well, not back to Hong Kong. Um, her mum was moving over there as a attending a national school to teach oh, okay. to teach in English. Um, Mimi refused. She says to mum, "I'm not going." Um, she was going to start what she was going to finish what she started, and it was something I was drilled. You know, we're a team, and I realised, okay, I accept that. I didn't think mum was going to accept it. Her mum's lovely, and she did. Her mum says, "You know what? That's fine." And her mum actually contacted the international school in Hong Kong, and th- that an agreement was made with the school. And two weeks later, he here we were um, up at Inverness. Um, we won the final, uh, Willie, by twenty-eight points. Wow, that's a fair win. Yeah, that's a national final. Um, we no disrespect to their team, but we just, we just obliterated them. They just played some of the best basketball I've ever seen under-14s play. Um, and I remember this weight, Willie, on my shoulders. And remember, I'm going back and saying I was a very competitive individual. In some aspects, it was very much about me. Maybe I was fulfilling a need. I was good at something. I was getting this acceptance from a young man to this. Um, and I'd won. And it was just, just, it was a sinking feeling. It's hard to describe. And it was almost like, is that it? You know, I, I was happy, but it's hard to describe that feeling. And I looked over to my girls, Willie, and they were hugging and crying. And a lot of the listeners will be going because they've won and they're emotional. So something very, very different, Willie. Mimi was leaving that day. One hour after then, she was away to the airport and she was leaving. Okay. What I had created there, Willie, was a togetherness. I had, I had taught resilience. I had taught acceptance. I taught all these life skills. And something just clicked that as a coach, I can be so powerful in such a positive manner that takes away all these trophies. These trophies are they're silver. They're meaningless. They sit, they sit on my shelves. Like, as a coach, and for coaches listening, we can be powerful in a way that some people will never be powerful. I can impact children's lives, hundreds of children's lives in a way some people will never impact a child's life. And that, for me now as a coach, is my number one responsibility. It's not about the winning. Now, listen, I still like to win. (laughs) I still like to win. But winning becomes a byproduct of the life skills I'm going to teach within the game. So it was an amazing, it was an enlightening moment for me, you know. Um, And that's now how I coach. Um, It's very much life skills. And I think that's the most important thing to be uh, taught through sports. And I know there's a, a couple of girls, you know, at Fraserburgh Academy, and if, if you were to ask them, what do you remember for basketball? There's a girl, Katie Stevens, she'll tell you, I remember I was eating a bacon butty in under 10s. I remember being in a competitive game, like, where's Katie at? And I looked in here, where's massive bacon butty. It was almost <laughs> bigger than her, you know? Um, things on the bus, you know, things that would happen on the buses and stuff like that. We were building memories. We were building character. Um, and again, these girls from our age group for like two seasons, almost out of, I'm going to say, 13 girls, I think 10 of them are at university at the moment. So I can't take full responsibility for their academics, but what I did do is when it came to exams, we were training three times a week. 
And because I was a, a lecturer at the college, um, I could get access to the library in the evenings. So their training cut to once a week. And a lot of that was physical training. And other times they were in the library working with each other. So if you if one of the girls was good at maths, she'd help the other girls with maths. One was good at English and they spent that time working together on academics because teamwork. of yeah, teamwork on the court, teamwork off the court. Yeah. Fantastic. Did you ever hear from that girl in back to Hong Kong? Yeah, it hasn't been for a while, but this podcast will go out to her mum. Um sometimes um I, I worked with the brother a lot as well. Um he he went on to I'm going to say Spain and tried some camps in Spain, big teams in Spain. Um, so she was regularly in contact to let me know how he was progressing and how she's progressing. She doesn't play basketball anymore, Willie. Um, no, she doesn't. Um, Hong Kong probably wasn't big for basketball. And if it was, it was very, very, very expensive. Oh, I, I mean, like the expense was unbelievable to what I was told. Um interesting enough, she wasn't so keen in long distance running. She didn't like the running and she became a runner. You know, <laughs> she did a lot of running and stuff, so fair dues to her. But I think she's going on the same and doing well at school over there. And, yeah, I, I do keep in contact when I can. Uh, she sounds like a person would be good at anything she turned around to. Yeah, both of them are very, very talented uh, children. Uh, the boy was naturally talented, whereas yeah. the sister had to work for where she got, but she did that well. You know, so I think bo both of those will go and have a, a bright future. And if, if they are listening or when they hear this, I'm just going to say, you know, when you're rich, don't forget me. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I will forget you, Leo. Yeah. <laughs> right, before I sidetracked you, you were telling me about some of the trophies you'd won, so can you go back and list a few more for me? Um, yeah, I've, I've got us up on my phone, I just to make sure. So, yeah, um, we won at National Championships, and then we, we went on to what's called Monster Ball. So it's a thing they set up at Inverness, and they take over an international team, which was Uni Girona. It's a professional women's club. Yeah. Um, they came over, um, and we just played a big tournament there again. It was a year top, I think it was the top eight teams again. And we won that. I'm not going to say it was as convincing because Mimi was away, and we kind of lost a little bit of that togetherness. Um, but we did have the. Um, a girl, Ailey Noble. Now, some of the listeners might be very, very aware of Ailey Noble. Um, do you remember the sisters that saved the man at the beach? I do, I. Yeah, so she, she was the younger one. She just kind of went on to university. Um, wow, what a talent, Like what an inspiration, what, what a role model to, to young girls. Um, I've never met a girl in my life so driven, so so headstrong to succeed in life. Um, and what, what a player on the basketball court. Um, and I, I just remember her in that game. And she, again, I, I use the word possessed, and that's how she played. Um, I always believe you need you need a leader, and you'll know maybe through football. Uh -huh. like Mention great leaders, and she was that leader. She was an inspiration on the court. She wasn't the only one. There was there was another girl, uh, Georgia Duncan. She led. There were different types of players, but they complemented each other's game. Um, there was another one, Kelsey Grant, and these three girls together were just phenomenal and they did they went on and they won that um i think ailey won mvp for everything she played that year wow um she went on to um uni girona were there where they played a 3v3 that day and my girls kind of beat won the 3v3 um we went into an all select scotland team and my some of my girls were in that 
Um, oh, we didn't stand a chance against Uni Girona. These girls were absolutely, they were a different level again. Again, it was a learning curve for me. The intensity, the aggression that they played with was, it was just beautiful to watch. You know, as a coach, you can appreciate certain teams. And this is just like, wow, I was bemused. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to speak to these coaches. And I ended up taking Georgia and Ailey over to Girona. We went over to Catalan. Um, we went over for five days and we trained at an international camp. Um, and that was an experience in itself. I always remember I was being told, Leo, take water. You're going to need water. I'm like, okay. And, you know, I had my little bottle of water what I would have in Fraserburgh. Mm-hmm. Well, it was 40 degrees. And there was no air conditioning in this hall. Within 10 minutes, if that, that water was gone. So that evening, I remember walking down to the, the markets, if you like, and getting these massive, like, three, four litre bottles of water and carrying them, getting the girls to help me. Um, but they, I think the Spanish mentality is very my mentality. It's if they score 102 points, we're going to score 104 points. So their features on offence, is it, you call it? Yeah, very, very offensive. They don't really believe in setting up great strategies. Um and they're very, very technical from a very, very young age. And what I witnessed, they were also very, very respectful. Their youths were very, very respectful. I remember actually on arrival, obviously Ailey and George are very young girls. They were very nervous. I was nervous. Uh, okay. I, I, I speak in Catalonian. I don't speak in Spanish. <laughs> um, and I remember the girls coming up to our girls, and they couldn't speak great English. It was very broken. And they were pointing to our girls saying, friends, friends. And they were waving their hands to come with us. And I thought, wow, that was really, really nice. Uh-huh. Um, and the girls settled. Um, they had their five days. They had a great experience. And, and then, yeah, we left. But that was an amazing learning curve for me as a coach. Um, and though I don't speak the language, um, basketball itself is a language. So I, I, could, I could watch a drill. I could interpret it and I could go and deliver it. And I had to coach myself to watch other kids. You know, there was kids from Lithuania, Portugal, Holland, Scotland, England, it was from everywhere. It was a fantastic experience to be, to be part of that. So um, when I came back, um, I took up um, a, a boys team. Um, very, very talented lads. Um, lovely lads. I think you'll know Lubo. You know Lubo? Mm, or maybe Ken, let see. What age group are we speaking about, Leo? Um, this is under, they were under 17 boys, if you like. They were under okay. 17 boys. Um very, very coachable. Um, but I decided that I wasn't going to play them. You know, we, 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 we'd won a lot in the region. We, we'd won the under-18s the year before. And we were under-17s, if you like, the majority of the teams, under-16s. There was no point going into the under-18s to go in and win every single game. My team weren't going to learn anything. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to put them into senior men's, into Division 2. Was that a huge jump up for them? Massive. Huge physicality, discipline, but there, w- there was no point playing them in their own age group, you know. And they were under 17s, I went to play under 18s, and we couldn't get into National League because mm-hmm. a lot of the boys were working or whatever, and you know, it just wasn't going to happen. We'd never been in National League with this group of boys before, so there's a process that you need to play, and we went into a very low division. So, yeah, we went into senior men's, and oh, well, we were first, we played from Ellen. That was our home ground. And I remember it was a Greek team and these men walked in. Very go- Going back to my Lithuanian men, huge, muscular, strong. Um, and I remember the boys' faces. 
and I'd never seen him look up before. You could Fear. Intimidation, mm-hmm. overthinking, um, a lot of questions being asked, or oh, are they good, are they good? And it's something I've heard a lot, are the other team good? I don't care what the other team play like. Our emphasis is on how do we play? How do we play individually? How do we play as a team? We focus on what we can do. We don't need to be concerned what the other team do. Now, you yeah, control other team, can you? Yeah, that's right. And it's the first time playing a team. Now, I, I take notes on teams. So for the second time we played them, I had notes. When you, when you, but you're learning that in the first game. You know, you're right. learning on the job. But yeah, it got to half time, and we were four points behind, which is not bad. Uh-huh. Um, I knew this team was beatable. Um, it was very much we were trying to play their game. They were very physical. They were very dominant. Okay. Um, we were trying to match that. And we couldn't match that. We were under 17 boys. I think we had two under 18 lads in the team. Um, so I, I took them in at half time and I says, guys, what, what are we going to do? And I'm very, I'm more diplomatic with under 18s. I think they need, again, a little bit of control, a little bit of choice. What do you guys think is going wrong? What do you think can change? And they argue amongst themselves. And I don't mind them arguing amongst themselves. Because as long as they don't get out of hand, it's mm-hmm. problem solving if you like, you know. And you're going to see it at any level of football, you know, problem solving. You've you've heard the the, the changing room moments, you know. So I, I control it, and then I just said to the boys, like, "Well, how about we run?" And this guy looked at me and goes, "Yeah, how about we run?" I goes, "That's our game. We run, we press, we pressure. And the, any loose ball, we, we make it ours. We run, we pass up at court. Our transitions, we're, we do not stop." And I could see them like going through their heads, like, yeah, no, Lubo, what a character. He's like, yes, yes. He's screaming, he's clapping his hands, he's, he's high fiving his team. He gives his, t- his team at, at energy. And I spoke to him, and I, like, we need this. And he went on, he led by example. I remember, yeah, we were losing by four points. And I remember at the last eight minutes of the game, um, we were miles ahead. We were almost like, 18 points ahead. Oh, and I remember us just catching the rebound, passing the ball out wide in transition. The other team were just walking up the court. They were just, these are, remember, these are big muscular men. These are not built for cardio. No. They were just absolutely exhausted. And by the end of the game, I think we won a game about 30 points or something like that. Um, and we, we continued to look at throughout the season. Um, we did lose a game. We lost, to, I played them against a first division team, a Lithuanian team. We got absolutely destroyed. They needed to lose. They needed to understand what losing was like. Uh-huh. A massive, like being undefeated isn't actually necessarily great at a young age. They have to understand, they have to overcome adversity. When we lose, there's a lot of things to learn from losing. Heaps of things to learn from losing. Sometimes it's more from learning from losing than there is winning. Um, I would agree with that 100%. Yeah. And yeah, they, they went on to their successful season. We were second in the league, and unfortunately, COVID came along and our season was disrupted and we never got to finish. Um, and now, all these boys, a lot of them are at university, like Lubo, Lewis, also another phenomenal technically player. What a player. Um, yeah, he's, he's at university playing for his team. So it's great to see they're going on doing great things. But going back on to there's a lot of learning from losing. Um, Previously, I've just discussed this under-14 team that I had at Girls and how we were undefeated. Um, we went into under-16s and all the team were literally under-15 apart from two. That was a step up. Uh-huh. Um, 
we played Glasgow Fever, Ellen, first game again. Um, we were winning the game. Again, we got into foul trouble. Now, the higher you go up the levels, the stricter the refereeing. So it can't be back to old age. We, we need to learn to play with the referee's rules here. If a referee's saying you're being too aggressive, we need to work with that and we need to watch with hands and whatever. And they never learned that. And we lost a game that I felt that we should have won. And, and we lost. And that was their first loss in almost two seasons. Okay. We went back to training and we spoke about it and how it was important to play for the team. Um, and I don't think that sank into them, Willie. Um, we played the next game. I think we played Airstorm that second game again at Ellen. And we absolutely dominated the game. It was a stupid game, Willie. We actually won the game, I think it was by 72 points. Wow. Um, and I was, uh, no, I was angry. I wasn't happy. Um, these girls did not play as a team. It was very individual. Um, I can't remember, I'm not going to mention names individually, but they were on very high points individually. Okay. Now, when, okay. You start to play, when you start to play at that level, a sport, you can't just play individual. What happens if an individual gets injured? Aye. Yeah. Okay. Now we can't play as a team. Or two individuals get injured and then we don't even have a team. You know? So we took up weakness and we went back to training and we really, really focused on playing as a team. So we went away to play Glasgow Fever. It was it was an away game. Um, unfortunately, we had seven players. Um, I remember Isla Noble. She'd received a really bad ankle injury. She was basically out for I think it was six weeks. Um, and the, the other girl who took with us, Katie, had dislocated fingers. Okay. Now, going by the rules, you must take seven players. So in theory, yes, we took seven players, but really we took five, or we had to forfeit the game. Um, these five girls played their hearts out. Now, remember, we'd lost this game by four points. This time, we took them to overtime. Um, and just, it was one of those moments we thought we'd won the game. And then it was one of these movie moments that one of the girls, it was a dying second of the game. There was, I think we were winning by a point. And she just took the ball. And really, she just almost chest-passed the ball up high into the air. It wasn't even a good technique. It was just a shot. It was a shot of nothing. And it kind of like rattled around the basket a bit and just dropped in, and we lost the game right at the death. Oh, like, oh no! I actually remember that game. Isla says to me, she was sitting on the bench. Obviously, we'd just taken her to support the team because she couldn't really play. And then extra time, her team was so tired, and she says to me, "She's leave a one on, put me on the court, I'll be okay." I was quite reluctant because she's just coming back from an injury, and I did put her on, and she worked her heart out. And that starts maybe that gives you a bit of the characters that I had in this team. Uh, okay. for team, and I could see this was working. So, the coach of that team, um, she was the assistant, the assistant coach of the national under sixteen team, I think. Um, so yeah, I knew that she knew my team. She'd be taking notes, and we went to the finals, and we had this team in the final. Um, but we had our full team. Um, Ailey, the player going about. She got into foul trouble really, really early. Now, this would be the player that would say that we needed on the court almost at all time. We, we depended on her. But going back to what I previously just said, we can't be dependent on one player. Uh -huh. We had to learn to work as a team. And on the second quarter, she was on three fouls. Now, there's four quarters. I had to take her off that court because two more fouls, she was out of the game. And, wow, my girls played team basketball. They played as a team. There was not one individual standing out. They defended as a team. They attacked as a team. 
Um, however, their coach was very, very clever. They had they'd monitored us, they had watched us, they basically knew our game plan down to a T. So they played what's called a park line defense. Okay. Player would pressure the ball. Four players would kind of sit back, sag back, and defend the key area. So they basically defending the basket. Um, that's very, very hard to get through. So we need to be very, very good at shooting. We play the same defense because I'd also scouted them. You know what, Willie? What a boring game of basketball. I don't like playing basketball a cup, but you're in a final. It was almost kind of like park a bus from both sides, if you like. Uh, I don't like doing that, but we're in a final. We wanted to win. Um, I suppose I put, I put tactics over development. And I called a timeout. Um, a timeout, you get a quick minute to speak to your team. I took a man that says, look, girls, if we continue to trade baskets like this, backwards and forwards, it's just going to come down to time and a one mistake and we could lose the game. So I said to him, let's go back and play our game and let's go full pressure and how we trap the ball. So we kind of, how do I explain this? We kind of guide the team to an area of the court under pressure and we kind of make a rotation where there's two girls on the ball, pressure on the ball to get a high pass and we steal the high pass and we just run and go and score. Okay. Uh, don't want to make it too tactical, but we did that, and we went ten points up. Um, then I shouted to my team, "Go back to our old defense," and we just traded baskets. Now that coach never changed the tactics or anything, and we saw the game out, and we won by ten points. And that was a prime example of this where we needed to play as a team. Uh, okay. Coach, I at this age group, teamwork really. You know, I'd emphasize why we need to be good as a team. Um, you said that. The girls on three fouls. What constitutes a foul in basketball, Leo? Um, you get two different kinds of fouls, I suppose. You get what's called... Uh, no, I need to get this right. There might be referees listening. Yeah, you get a technical foul and you get a professional foul. Now, um, a technical foul could be, for example, like swearing to the referee, poor sportsmanship, so gamesmanship, if you like, um, getting caught tripping someone up, you know, just... Being a dirty player, if you like, okay, um, slamming the ball down when you shouldn't. Um, Does that happen a lot? No, it, listen, it, it happens, but it's not like football. Now, I coach football, and I left football for kind of that kind of reason. Um, there is attitude in basketball at times. However, referees have a very, very good control of the game. Uh, Very okay. seldomly would you see a youth speaking back to the referees. And if they do, to be fair, the coaches will be like, nine times out of ten, get off. Because as coaches, we don't tolerate it. Um, there, there's no need for it. Yeah, so a professional foul would be basically like a foul in football. Um, too much contact, a slap, a shoulder charge. Um, you know, a little tittle-tattle kind of things. That's, that's a foul. And no. five of them are you off the park. Or the five park. of them, you're off the park. You know, no. basketball is what I would call a semi-contact game. Uh, it's okay. not a non-contact game. There's a lot of contact off the ball. Um, the ball handler, the person bringing the ball down the court, using the basketball, they tend to get a little bit more leeway. You can't really touch them too much. However, that's changing. I think Scotland are really undertaking a more... Eastern European kind of approach, a Spanish, Argentinian kind of approach where, like I said at the beginning, we need to be able to pressure our players to make them better players. Okay. And I think it, in the youth, it was very, we protected our players too much. Um, and 
Scotland kind of started to realise that at international level and national level when they were playing in against these teams, though the war structured well and would be a good team individually, would be a good team as a team, when we were, they were put under pressure, they couldn't cope. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, Lou, you sent me some photos. Yes. And you said, in particular, one of them had a photo of three of the girls. She said it was a very meaningful photo. Yeah. Why was that so important for you? So a girl in the middle of the photo, that's Mimi. The girl oh, I spoke to you that. And that's her with her national winning plate. So for the, the one and the two girls. Now you can see from that photo, there's been tears. And there's that old famous saying, a picture tells a thousand words. And I think if you look at that picture, you can see the, the emotion. But to think that girl's now just a way to leave all her friends, you know, it, I suppose it really it goes back to that racial abuse that she received and to be accepted by these girls to find something she's really good at to excel in something she's really good at to have to leave that, you know. Uh, and that's a quite taught your team to come together as well. Yeah, I thought she just, you know, yes, yeah, she was she was talented, but she brought more to that team than talent. You know, she brought that togetherness and it, it was a beautiful thing to see. You know, and it's something that I try and find all my teams now, you know. Uh, did she come from a sporting background? Was it Mimi you call that? Mimi, yeah. You know what, well, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, go, going by when she first walked in the door, I'm, I'm going to say no. But she, she, had a, she had a drive, you know. She really wanted to succeed and she definitely did that. Okay, so... Go back to some more of your qualifications, your, your things you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go back and have a look. As I said, there's a, there's, there's a massive list. Oh, um, sorry, sorry, before you go, Lee, I want to ask you one question. Mm-hmm. Tell us who Charlie Miller is. Uh, okay, so um, Charlie Miller was a professional player from the States. He never did quite make NBA. Um, he played at the level just under it. Now, he played under a, a very famous high school coach, called Bobby Knight. Now, anybody who wants to know how not to coach a youth, because um, you won't get off with this, you'd be charged, um, go and Google Bobby Knight. Um, he was the most strictest high school coach, college coach, if you like, in the States ever. Um, however, he was highly successful. Charlie Miller played under him. He's got a lot of high school records, Charlie Miller, I believe, a lot of credentials. Um and as I say, he never quite made NBA, but to make NBA, um, the stats to get into that, I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but it's, you know, it's not very many people make it. Um, but he came over to Scotland, first of our American group to come over to Scotland, coaching set up, and I had the pleasure of coaching under Charlie. Um, he was a phenomenal coach. Willie, I'm going to interrupt you a minute. Sorry, my boys have just arrived and my other son's going to put them upstairs. So just sorry for the interruption. Yeah. So um, they're away again, I think. Apologies. Cohen. Cohen. He's gone. Anyways, so yeah, um, he was also a motivational speaker and he tied his motivation into the basketball. And again, I saw almost myself in him. He liked to teach a lot of life skills. Um, but what a player. Uh, I shoot right-handed. Okay. 
he would demonstrate left-handed better than I can in my right hand. And he was right-handed. So, yeah, phenomenal player. But again, I learned a lot again from him. It, it's about the, the life skills. Um, Basketball is a game at the end of the day. Um, and yeah, he went back to America. I still keep contact with him. And you'll see the photo there, the size of the guy. I think I'm almost just above his waist. I was hoping I would chuckle when I saw the photo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you say to one thing you took from him? Um, I'll tell you what I took from him. Um, and it's maybe not so much about basketball. Um, a huge group in there. I remember him asking, he says, how much of you have mobile phones? How much of you have laptops? And he says, how much parents paid for your uh, the course that we were on, if you like, the camp. Now, that camp was, I can't remember, well, it was something like three to four hundred pounds. It was really expensive. Uh, okay. um, the majority of kids, maybe 40 kids, put up their hands. And he says, how much of you thanked your parents? Very few, if I can remember, well, they put up their hands. Like, it was less than a handful. Uh, okay. And he talked about being grateful. And he says... What I want you to do is I want you to go home tonight and I want you to think, it doesn't matter if it's uncle, auntie, grandma, brother, sister, and I want you to go home and I want you to pick up your mobile phones. And he goes, I want you to use them in a way, not for games, not for anything else, not for social media. I want you to use them what they were designed for and I want you to phone someone and I want you to say thank you. And I like that, you know, it's just like, it's nothing to do with basketball. Again, it was just a life skill. It was about, I can't remember, there's a word in this. It's kind of, it's lost me, but these kids, he wanted them to be grateful. Gratitude, gratitude, you know, he was kind of teaching gratitude there. Um, and that probably comes from his whole motivational speaking. And there was a lot of that in the camp. He did a lot of speaking, but I found myself just fixated on him, you know, kind of what he says kind of, and I took that now into my coaching you know, and I know I'm not a motivational speaker if you like but I take it into my coaching and I try and kind of sell kind of what he's done me and I think it's what it is a coach I think a good coach takes bits and pieces from other coaches uh-huh. I like that so you can take it into coaching and I like that and I like that and yeah you, you built up a repertoire of different coaches into your coaching and yeah so, what would be the one regret in your coaching clearly? Football. <laughs> okay. And you'll see a photo there. I kind of, I left football at, um, I started voluntary coaching as a young coach when I was at uh, college. Um, I was still a student. I took my voluntary role through in Crimean Primary School. And again, you know, a well-structured team and stuff. And we did well. And I remember we went to a gala. Um, I think it was Grange Hearts. I can't remember the team. They were a boys' club team. We lost. We lost 4 0. I remember, listen, this is a primary school team. I didn't care about winning and losing. We were on a gala. We did well. I was wanting the kids to have fun. And kids were crying. And, oh, well, the parents. Oh, but did you see the referee? And um, our goalkeeper got a lot of abuse. Um, a lot of players, young players, won a case. And parents were talking about this young goalkeeper. And I was so disgruntled. I'm like, what is this? You know, like the, the attitudes, you know, of parents and uh-huh. reflected upon the kids, you know, they were projecting the same. And I stuck with it. 
And I remember I took over a Keswick United team. I think it was the first time they ever started up. I was just getting into basketball, and I remember I was away for the weekends with the team, and I couldn't be the head coach that day of the team. There had been an altercation between a couple of boys, and, yeah, one thing had led to another. One of the kids resulted in a broken hand. It resulted in a broken hand. Yeah. No, I will never say to a kid, you are banned. I don't like that. I'm not going to ban the kid, but I want to be able to teach them. Um, they could come to the next game, but they weren't allowed to play. So I wanted them to be with the team. I wanted them to be part of the team. I wanted to support the team, but they weren't allowed to play. And I, I made my assistants quite clear about this. This is what's going to happen. And um, the people in charge, I guess, at the time agreed. And I'd come back, and the team had gone to Mint Law to play in some sort of gala. It wasn't a gala. It was a, I don't know what it was. It was a, a monthly setup. They play one game a month against other teams. And I think they'd won the game by something like 12 goals. Okay. I can ask kind of like, who, who scored goals. Well, one of the boys in particular who had been in a tussle had scored the goals. And I was like, what? The weird players that weren't as talented sat on the bench. And I'm just like, why? Why did these kids not get a chance to play? The game was won. Why did these boys not play? And I just felt, you know what? I ain't teaching these kids. And I'm not going to move forward. And I made a decision on that day. On that day, I was like, I'm not doing football because it's not something that I can I can sit back and watch, if you like. It went against me as a person, against my, my, my morals. Um, kids need to be able to enjoy their sport. Yes, I believe in competition, you know. And sometimes I think we're taking that away maybe a bit too much. I think there has to be competitions, but it needs to be controlled. And yeah, parents had too much say. And I didn't like the attitudes. Um, however, a couple of years back, I did. I was working in Rosati Primary School, and the head teacher approached me and says, "Will you take the football team?" I says, "No." <laughs> he says, "Please." And they really had no one else to do it. And I'm like, "I'll tell you what, I'll take him on just this season." And he's like, "Okay." And I took him on. Listen, I, I, I inherited fantastic football players, very, very technically good. Like these boys were great. Um, but basically what I did there is I went in, I talked to them about what I play as a team and we're very good individuals. My training was no dribbling, one touch, two touch, one touch, two touch, one touch, two touch. Uh, okay. We're going to pass this ball. We're going to pass this ball. We're going to get everybody in the game and we're not going to be selfish. We're not going to be greedy. That wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, but I remember playing in the Keswick League and other coaches were like, now, remember, at this time, I like this, actually, coaches were behind the fence. We had no oh. input in the game. So though I coached them in the school, I didn't coach them in the games. So it was kind of like teaching your ch child to grow up and letting them go and flourish, you know, go and do what you've got to do. Um, and to be fair to them, they did that. Um, and there was one occasion they lost a game, um, and it was, it came down to an individual went to a young individual being very, very greedy. Um, it was against a good team, and I think he thought that he had to take that responsibility on himself. Oh, okay. We discussed it in training. We went back and we worked it, and I told him, if it happens, um, you will not play. I go, we, we are a team, you know, or you won't get the game time that you want, you know. And to be fair to them, a lovely bunch of boys, um, and they did. They went on, and we actually won on the final day. Um we won in goal defence. We won the whole league on goal defence. Oh, fantastic. And, and I must say, it was a, a great team performance. 
and the fact that the parents weren't, they were behind a fence, you know Keswick, they were, mm-hmm. they were behind a fence, coaches weren't involved, it was just amazing to see the kids play. Give them a freedom to play. Yeah, and you know, I, I love this, I love this. Um, so I suppose my regret was I, I'm not a football coach. I think I could be a football coach, but I'm not. And it's something I probably, I, I do consider sometimes, will I try my hand at football coaching? But I won't. You know, I've, I've got too much. I've got a young family and it would take up a lot of my time. I want to spend my time with them. But I suppose my, my other regret was the way I used to use discipline. You know, I, I come from Marines. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story for coaches that might help young coaches. Um, maybe teachers. <laughs> I come from a Marines background where we were punished, you were disciplined. Um, and when I went, when I was a young lecturer, I taught a group of pupils, um, and it was called the Uniform Services, and they, they wanted to go to the military, the Marines, the Army, the Fire Brigades, you know, you name it. Um, and I was, I was basically told, if they don't behave, punish them. Um, I actually don't even think the word was punish. It was something a little bit more severe that I won't say. I was like, yeah. I will do that, no problem. And I did. You know, they were running. I, I would use exercise as punishment. I had them up and down Tiger Hill. I had them in the water, up and down Tiger Hill and back up to college. Um, I know there's a huge element that was fitness. But something I did use a lot of was press-ups. And I won't mention the lad's name. Um, but you weren't allowed to drink fizzy juice in the games hall. Okay. Um and I remember him coming in, and I, I think I gave him 10 press-ups at the start of the term. 10 press-ups is not much, but he wasn't great at press-ups, but he, he managed his 10 press-ups, he went away. And I remember by the end of the term, or the end of the, the academic year with the college, he came in with, I remember it was a bottle of Iron Brew, and I says to him, hey, you kind of hear that, press-ups. Um, I think, I think well, uh, without exaggerating, he banged it almost like 70-something press-ups. Wow. And, <laughs> He got up, he put his bottle of iron brew in his back pocket and walked through to the gym. I'm like, what have I actually taught this kid? I've taught this kid to be good at press-ups. I'll do him great in the military, but I've, I've actually taught him nothing. And I realised teaching through punishment hasn't done anything. So next time, what I did is the effects of drinking fizzy juice. He had to write an essay. It was a short essay. It was like three, four hundred words. But he also had to deliver it to his class. I would stand up in front of the class and talk to the pupils in the class about the effects of drinking fizzy juice. And basically what I've done there is I'm actually teaching them what the importance of not drinking fizzy juice. Uh-huh. And I thought, that's a really good way forward. So um, I, th- I think we can teach youths, you know, through more explanation. And I just think punishment does them no favours. You know, punishment does them no favour. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah. That would be a regret. And I used that for many a year. Punishment. Punishment, you know. And was that an element of control? You know, my self-reflection? Was it just an element of control that I feel that I needed that control? I didn't need that control. I just needed to teach the kid, right, you know, the way forward. And that's kind of where I went went with that. So. Yeah, I mean, life's a big learning curve, Leo, isn't it? It is. It is. We're always learning. Always learning. I'm always learning. As my mother used to say, you stop learning the day you stop listening. Aye, that's very true. Right, Leo, do you think basketball gets enough media exposure in Scotland? No, not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. Um, and sometimes I think that's really what's missing from developing the sport. The 
only now in the last, I don't know when, but in the fe- in a, from a female capacity, you've got what's called Caledonia Pride, and they're the first professional women's team in, in Scotland. Before them, you've got Glasgow Rocks, and <coughs> excuse me, they're the, the only men's professional team in Scotland. Um, now, they just don't get the coverage. Okay. Um, you'll get live feeds. You'll get live feeds on Facebook and whatnot, but they don't get the coverage. And I think these kids, we need role models. They need they need someone to look to, you know. And I think that's why, like, in America and these other countries, they've got these role models to look up to, the NBA. It's like football. You know, in my days, it was David Beckham, you know, Ryan Giggs, you know, Paul Scholes. Um as a Celtic, Man United player. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Celtic, you know, your Bobo Baldies and your Henrik Larsons. <laughs> but uh, these are idols. And I don't think that we really have these idols in Scotland to sell the game. But I, I think now, in the, from a, a female side, I know there's a young a young female, Hannah Robb, and she's going on doing really well. I think she's playing, she's playing for Great Britain. And the exposure Great Britain's getting is a little bit better. But until we get more Scottish females or Scottish male into the Great British sides, um, we won't get that much coverage. But Scotland is a team, is a national team. They're probably just not quite, what's the word, they're not good enough. I know Scotland had a lot of success not long back, maybe in, in the Euros, and they got quite far, and they kind of lost just at the end. That was great. And that did get a bit of exposure, but no. To answer that question, no, we don't get enough exposure, and I do believe it affects the game. No. Well, hopefully it'll get better content. What would you change in basketball if you could, Leo? Oh, that's a good question. What, what would I change? Um, well, you've got... Is there any, any rule in the game you think needs a wee bit of vamping? Um, no, I, I really like the rules because it's a very fast-paced game. Um, okay, yeah. I think I'm going to speak more from a, a regional aspect, a development aspect. Um there would be times I would take my under 14 girls and we would have to play in one scenario three games in a very, very short period in one day. Okay. Um, I don't think that is good for their bodies. Um, one game, one high intense game, and you know basketball is a high impact game. It takes a lot out of the joints. Um, I don't think that's good. I think it's something that needs to be revised. Um, I actually don't believe in two games in a day. I don't believe in two games again. I think it should just be one game on that day um, where they're exposed to that in high intensity. Uh, anybody know, knows in sport, high intensity at a young age. Now, uh, I listened to Andy Crawford's uh, podcast last week and he spoke maybe a little bit about plyometrics and I've discussed plyometrics with him. And plyometrics, for listeners, is very high impact, jumping, bounding, um, high intensity, kind of on the knees. It puts a lot of strain on the body. Um, and a youth or bodies are not quite ready for that, um, and it causes a lot of injuries. And you will see a lot of young, young males, young females with the knees, the knees strapped up, and that's usually because they've been subjected to too much high intensity. So, oh, okay. um, I do think it's something the government body, you know, should be taking a lot of time to con- to consider. Uh, so, yeah. So, what uh, away from basketball, Leo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you've got two. Uh, is it two or three sons? Is it? I have three of them. Three of them. Okay. So away from basketball and kids, how do you get a chance to relax? What do you do? 
Oh man, <laughs> relax. <laughs> did, did you use the word relax there? Relax. Uh, Hold on. Any chilling out time yeah. for you? I'm gonna have to go and uh, read that word up in the dictionary. <laughs> relax, uh, so me. Um, okay, I've I've got my weekends. You know, I mean, I've I've got my three boys. I've got a. I'm doing a degree at the moment in counselling. Takes up a lot of my time as well. Um, there is a coach. It's great because my boys can come to my coaching. You know, they're they're involved in basketball. Um, they might not be basketball players. Um, I do believe that. A lot of people say, oh, your boys will be basketball players. Like, mm, maybe. I'll guide them. That'll be their choice. I'm not going to be one of those pushy parents. Um, my weekend, I started boxing, Molly, and I really, really loved it. I really uh-huh. loved it. But again, it was one of all these things that my brain thought that I could do it, but my body, oh, man, it was just taking a pounding. I was I was getting injured very, very quickly. Um, and then, kinda, I suppose, I've, I've kind of stopped. I didn't have the time for that neither. So... You know what, Willie? You know what I do to relax? Sometimes I play chess on my phone. Oh, right. Okay. Um, I love chess. I love the idea of strategy and the idea of thinking. And I suppose, again, that falls into my coaching. Sometimes when you've got two evenly balanced teams, it uh-huh. becomes a game of strategy. You know, I, I need to think, if I make this move, what's going to happen? If I make this substitution, what's going to happen? I need to look for mismatches on the court. It really is a game of strategy. Um and like uh, you can play stress uh, chess, you can play counter attack chess, you can play very aggressive chess when we're attacking. Guess which one I am, Willie? <laughs> I wonder. Uh, I'm very, very attacking, and sometimes I get a little bit frustrated with myself. I'm like, no, and like I find myself they must be cheating because you know they're online. They must be cheating, but no, <laughs> it, um, it just comes down to sometimes I'm just too aggressive. So I'm trying to. I mean, I've got a good score in chess. I'm, I think I'm rated it. Maybe sixteen hundred. It kind of varies between fifteen to sixteen hundred, and that's. Um, I think your, I think your master, just your standard master, is at two thousand. I'll, I'll never be a master because I've not got that time to put into it. But I enjoy the game. But that relaxes me. I get time to chill with a little bit of chess. Um, and in, in in the summer, I like to go for walks. I, I enjoy walking. Um, I like a bit of art. I like to sit and doodle. Okay. Um, so I like to sunbathe. You know. <laughs> I like to go out with my friends, you know. Cool. But I'm going to finish with a few quick fire questions. Go for it. So basically, whatever comes here, you just fire away. Right, okay. Your favourite holiday destination? Girona. I loved Girona. I would go back to Girona, not for the basketball, but what a beautiful place. Okay. Um, Love Girona. Cool. Favourite football team? I think I know what's coming here. Celtic. All day. Celtic. Uh, I just love Celtic. Okay. Favourite food? Ooh, I love cooking. That goes back to your last question. I, I love cooking. Um, I find that really therapeutic and relaxing. Um, it's I love Thai food. Um, okay. Anything Thai food. Casual food, pizza. Um, but I, I love Thai food. I love the flavours. I love cooking Thai food. Okay, pizza. With or without pineapple? Oh, come on. That's with pineapple. With oh, pineapple. Good man, good yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> Can I fill this video actually if you... Stuck a movie on an evening. What would you want? I love true stories. Um, anything real. Um, I, I love anything to do. Can true stories. Um, my favourite films. I love Coach Carter. Obviously, um, uh-huh. I do like a comedy. I like. Um, I like Happy Gilmore. Okay. Um, I, I love his technique. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Training Day. You know, I, I just I love passionate films. You know, where there's character okay. and there's passion and yeah. I don't do your scary movies or 
I don't like silly movies. Like, you ever seen Dumb and Dumber? Aye. I've no time for that. Tell me, I just it's monotonous. I'm like, I need to switch it off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you won ten million in the lottery, mm-hmm. would you still buy the rock? That's a good question. Yes, for the sake of my boys, I went I, I went upheaval. Um, I wouldn't put my boys to a private school or anything like that. Um, and I would still work. I would still work. I'd probably still be in a job like I'm in just now. Um, I would still work. Um, I'd, probably put, I'd probably put a lot of money into working with youth. Actually, you know what I would do if I went 10 million, Willie? I would set up a massive youth teenage program in Fraserburgh. Um, I'd get a lot of people involved. I would get a lot of people in to work with, with the youths of Fraserburgh. Def- Dude, that's, very, that's very commendable, yeah. I would still go on holiday. <laughs> I would still buy a fancy car and whatnot. <laughs> uh, okay. I'd buy a cleaner, Willie. I'd buy a, a, a you know, I'd employ a cleaner. I need a cleaner. Oh my goodness. Uh, a bit money well spent, yeah. Aye, definitely. Definitely. Right, Lou, I'm gonna this is your last question. Okay. You've probably got about two minutes left to answer it. Okay. What advice would you give to any youngster wanting to start out in basketball? Um go in. Enjoy the game and make as much mistakes as you possibly can and learn from them. Never give up. Be resilient. Never give up. And play, I suppose, play for you. Don't don't play for your parents. Play for the love of the game. Play for you. That's it, Willie. That's me. Okay, well, that's good, <laughs> solid advice, yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, Leo, I've absolutely really enjoyed listening to your stories. Thank you very much, Willie. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. And I know we have a chat on a uh, daily basis at school. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to seeing you. I'm, I'm really going to be interested how the listeners, because this is a sort of different sport. Yeah, yeah, very different. Would it be classed as a minority sport? Is that unfair? It's growing. It's one of the fastest growing sports in Britain, Willie. So it is growing, but it's taking time. So. Okay, okay. So again, thank you very much for your time, Leo, and I shall wish you all the well in the future. Yeah, you too. And you take care. We'll see you tomorrow morning. <laughs> Thank you, Leo. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to be involved in the podcast, if you want to come on and tell your story, or you'd like to nominate anyone who you think should be on, contact me. My name is Willie McKenzie. You can contact me on 07904-756-332. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye now.